we're continuing in the Sermon of the Mount, and we're in Matthew chapter 6. We left off in the similitudes last week and the Beatitudes before that, all those fancy descriptions of sections, how we're able to chop up and look at the Sermon of the Mount in different sections and understand it. But it doesn't mean anything, whatever you call the different sections. It's the words themselves that are coming from the Lord. And now we're continuing in chapter 6, and Jesus is picking up right where he left off, and he is going to be teaching us some things to do and things not to do. And he's going to be speaking about the giving to the poor, about praying, and about fasting. And these are very, very important disciplines that the Pharisees were doing. Now, the Pharisees at that time... They are the religious standards. They were what everyone looked to, and they were the hyper-conservatives, and they wanted everything to be done a certain way, and they were the keys to religion and faith and coming to God, arguably, at that time. And we're going to see that even though the Pharisees, they're fasting twice a week, they're praying all the time, they're giving to the poor, making a big show of it, the, the Lord is not impressed. God is not impressed with the way they are doing it. And because religion is the centerpiece of the first century life in the nation of Israel. When you think of religion, you think of a relationship with God. That is true, but for them, it was rites and ritual. It was politics. It was power. It was prestige. Everything revolved around the way they were doing things. Well, fast forward to the 21st century, to you and I. And 21st century Christians say things like, well, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, what does that even mean? And how does that even apply? What's the difference? Well, Jesus is going to teach us these things as he continues to show us what a true relationship with God really is like. So let's pray, and then we're going to read verses 1 through 4 together as we start. Lord, we do want to have a true relationship with you, with God. We want something real. We don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to be fake. We don't want to be religious, Lord. We want to grow in you and know you, be changed by you, Lord, to know our place in the universe, to know our purpose for life, Lord, to have joy and peace with God. We, we want these things, Lord, and we pray that you would show them to us and teach us through your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read verses 1 through 4 together. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Well, here in the 21st century, we live in a world where people can't even eat their breakfast without posting it for the whole world to see. I mean, you, you go to a concert or you see something beautiful like the stars or the sunrise, and what do you see if you're in a crowd? All the cell phones start popping up and everyone's trying to live their life through the screen. And I don't know about you, and I'm just going to vent a little bit. I don't see a single person pulling up the video of them back in the concert and reliving it through the screen. They just have it in their, their memory, and it just sits there forever, and they kind of scroll on like, oh, that was a good time. Was it? Was it, or were you producing it 
Were you filming it or were you actually there? See, religion is, can be the same way, where people are more interested in what everyone else sees them doing as to the actual moment itself, really living deeply, deeply and experiencing these things. Now, remember, back in the first century, Jesus' audience is spiritual people that are following after him. He's healing them. He's teaching them. But the Pharisees are around them, and the Pharisees are the standard of religion and relationship with God at that day. And Jesus is teaching here, don't be a what? Hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a religious hypocrite. Don't be doing these things that are important. Giving to the poor, helping the needy, helping those that are less fortunate, that can't help themselves, for the benefit of others. Now, I can't call the Pharisees hypocrites and just let that stand there without any kind of evidence, right? I I can't just make statements like this. Well, Jesus in Matthew 23, 13, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Well, he definitely calls them hypocrites, but what is he really saying? Deeply, he's saying, you are separating people from God. You are the reason that people can't have a relationship with God. These are the people that are supposed to be the teachers and the standards for how people grow in their relationship with God. And instead, he says, you're hypocrites, you're keeping people shut out. Well, let's go back again to the 21st century. We're going to be time traveling a lot this morning. How many people do you know, they're beginning to look outward, away from the Christian faith, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, New Age uh, spirituality, and they're trying to go outward because they feel like the religion of churchianity, of Christianity, is dry and religious and full of hypocrites, and it's separating them from a real, deep, personal relationship with God. Jesus says we should be giving, but we shouldn't be giving for public consumption. Does it please God? But here's another problem that we have. When we read in these texts, we always put ourselves as the good guys And the bad guys are always them. They are the Pharisees. But if Jesus were here today and he had two two coins, and one was black and one was white, and he went to each one of us, and if you got a white one, that means you are not a hypocrite in his eyes. And if you got a black one, that meant you were. I think we'd have more black ones than we think. Are you the hypocrite that he's talking about? Who is your faith for? Is it for public consumption? Are you here at church today because you need to please a family member? Is it for your own gain? Like, oh, God, I'm coming to you, but if you don't do what I want you to do in a quick enough time, then I'm going to protest and go somewhere else. Or is it about a personal, deep relationship with God, connecting to the creator of the universe? You see, Jesus is going to teach us about giving, prayer, and fasting in this section, but we're going to see over and over and over again, it is about our private, personal relationship with God. It's not about what everyone sees, about what's being posted, or about being, quote, a good Christian or churchian. I loved what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, the first step towards overcoming hypocrisy is to be honest with God in our secret life. The first step towards overcoming hypocrisy is to be honest with God in our secret life. 
Now, I'm going to repeat something over and over and over again throughout this sermon. So if you don't remember anything, you remember this. An authentic, deep relationship with God is cultivated in private, and the work is done in the heart. I'm going to say it over and over again. An authentic, deep relationship with God is cultivated in private, and its work is done in the heart. The heart is what Jesus is looking at. He's looking at the connection between the mind, the body, and the soul. He restores us. He makes us new. He refreshes us. That's what a personal relationship with God is all about. When we say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Do you have a relationship? Or are you just trying to change the labels? Too many people are religious hypocrites. Speaking about giving, what is the Lord talking about? Well, he gives a perfect example of something he sees in Mark chapter 12. He says, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money in the treasury. This is the temple treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrons. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now, Jesus is not saying that we have to give everything to please him. It's not the money. The math is different for the Lord. What he's saying is, this woman with no pomp, No circumstance, no Instagram, no tweets, no posts on Facebook. Gave everything she had to God. It was a personal and private gift of adoration to the king. Little did she know that the creator himself, that Jesus was there to observe it and to be pleased by it. Remember, it's about a private moving in our heart, a relationship with God. And Jesus came that we could have that kind of access with Him. Poor are not better than rich. Rich are not better than poor. Our race, our ethnicity, our background, our nationality, the trauma that you've been through in your life, the things that have happened to you or you have done to others, at the feet of God, it doesn't matter. It's about that private moment with you and your Creator. And nobody else needs to know about it. Now, other people, those that are critics of the the Bible, they say, well, God must be so jealous and greedy that He just wants everything. He wants all our money, all our time. He wants us to live us under all these rituals and all these rules, and He doesn't want any of us to be happy. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus said that I came that you may have life and life more abundantly to set you free He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And He wants to have a moving in you. He wants to work, and He wants to heal, and He wants to touch you and make you new. And if you think that coming here and sitting down and listening to a sermon is where that is done, you're wrong. It is done in our private relationship with God. And it changes us when we sit with Him so that we give in private. We don't, we don't care. It's a part of who we are now as He changes us. But some of us, you know, we're still caught up. We're so worried about what everyone thinks all the time. You still got to post that. 
And you get upset, you know, you, you post your breakfast, you made some French toast, you only get three people liking it, and you're like, everybody hates me. Maybe it's because we all ate breakfast this morning and it's not a big deal. But for all of us, we get to being worried about what they all think. But here, God is telling us that that doesn't really matter. Is it because he's jealous and envious? No, he's teaching us a deeper truth. I'll give you an example. Well, how many retirement homes do we have here in the Bluffton area? Like 500? Let's say like 30. Let's make some up. And what kind of people are in there? Well, older people that are kind of enjoying the last bits of, you know, their, their life. And we don't think about the fact that there's generals in there and politicians. There's CEOs and entrepreneurs. There's engineers. There's doctors. There's people that at one point in their life, People lined up to hear them and to, to respect their opinion and to grow with them. But, but what about now? I don't see you guys lined up over there to ask them for their wisdom. Oh, no, they're just, they're washed up. They're has-beens. Gosh, you guys are mean. They're people you know. Well, maybe there's people in your life that you were, it was really important to you to please them or to make them happy. But now a couple of years passed, a couple of decades, maybe just not that big of a deal anymore. You see, that's what the Bible tells us about the opinions of man and people. In 1 Peter, it says, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of men is the flowers of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. And we find that over time, those opinions, they just don't really matter so much anymore. But what about the opinion of God? What does your Creator think about you and your relationship with Him? Do you talk with him? Do you speak with him? Has your life changed as you've cultivated a relationship with him? How do I have a relationship with him, you're thinking? How do I have a, a private prayer life? Well, the Lord's going to teach us here. In verses 5 through 6, he starts. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I told you I was going to repeat it over and over again. An authentic, deep relationship with God is cultivated in private, and its work is done in the heart and in our soul. And so we go to the private place where no one is watching us, no one is judging us, their opinions don't matter, and we begin to speak to God. We're going to even remove the word prayer because prayer, we identify it with too many things. If you have a Catholic background, you think of prayer, you think of kneeling down and rosary beads and candles and confession and ritual. If you have a Muslim background, you think of five times a day pointed in a certain direction, doing things a certain way. And, and on and on and on. We have all this baggage. Even Christians that grew up in a household of what we would call regular biblical prayer, you hear things like prayer changes things. Well, it's not wrong on face value, but prayer doesn't change anything. Now, before you get up here in a huff, saying that prayer changes things is like thanking the telephone when the pizza comes to your house when you ordered a pizza. It's a conduit. It's conversation. So when you have a conversation with God in your private space with you and Him, 
We want to talk with him honestly and openly, just like Wiersbe told us. And we want to have a conversation. To just say blankly that prayer changes things, if I go talk to this wall over here and call it prayer, that doesn't do anything. Prayer doesn't do anything in and of itself. It's who you are speaking to that matters. And we want to be speaking with the creator of the universe because he can change us, not the other way around. Now, we know that Jesus did this constantly. In Mark chapter 135, it says, In the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. When you are with the creator of the universe, and you are speaking with him and having a conversation, that is where the cultivation begins. That's where we're being changed. He changes the way we think. He changes the way that we feel. He begins to heal things that no counselor or psychologist or therapist or drug can fix. He goes to the places we cannot go and he speaks to the things that we cannot speak of. And when we have no words to communicate with Him, the Bible says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us as you sit with Him. You cannot spend time with the Creator of the universe and not be changed. But we shut ourselves out. Now, the hypocrite, he wants to pray in front of everyone because it's about the audience. He's not interested in what the Lord is doing in him. And it saddens me today that what do we hear? That people are leaving the church, especially young people, and they're going in there experimenting with all these things because they're missing the very thing that Jesus is speaking about, a deep, personal, real relationship with a real God. And all that's found through Jesus. That's what he's speaking against. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the religious. Don't be about the outward appearance. What does God have to think about this? And what is he doing in your life. Those things that people are leaving the church in the 21st century for are the very things that Jesus is preaching against on the Sermon of the Mount. Remember, his name means God with us. He came to us to make this way that we could have these conversations with him. And so he's going to continue to teach us about prayer here in verses 7 and 8. He says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask of Him. Well, if you really haven't felt the guilt trip now, let me lay it on a little bit thicker. Because many people come to the faith and they think it's a business negotiation. They think, well, I'm going to give secretly so that I can receive financially publicly. That's literally what they pray. That's not what he's talking about. And they hear, oh, I'm going to pray secretly because the Lord knows my needs and he's going to give to me publicly. And they think it's about the physical. They think it's about the financial. They think it's about their health. Like, oh, if I just, if I just follow this formula, A plus B equals C. That's not what he's talking about here. And when he says he knows your needs, he knows your needs before you ask of him, what is he talking about? We're not going deep enough. Listen, before you go to the Lord in your prayer closet, in your secret place, and have a conversation with Him, and you open your heart, He knows your emotional needs and your issues. He knows your past trauma. He knows the hurt. 
He knows the spiritual dryness. He knows the lack of joy. He knows your fears, your anxieties, your fears. I said that twice. It must be for somebody. He knows the hurt, the confusion. He knows if you're angry with Him. He knows if you're frustrated with His creation. He knows these things. He knows what you need before you ask of Him. So just come and open your heart and ask Him. And sit. Many times when I'm counseling with someone that's going to be praying for the first time that has a lot of trauma, a lot of hurt, a lot of anxiety, I ask them to just breathe and just sit with the Lord. You don't have to say anything. Just sit with Him. The conversation will come by itself because you can't spend time with God and not be changed. He knows your needs before you ask of Him. And He's not silent. So He knows us. He's talking to the disciples. He's teaching them about giving. He's teaching them about praying. He's telling them, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be about repetition. Don't be about, quote, prayer. Be about conversation. Be about the deep, secret things that are revealed in Christ. And now He's going to teach us what to do. He says in verses 9 through 15, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. Forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's read verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So let's look at this prayer, this very famous prayer that's often vainly repeated. And let's look at it in depth. And let's see what Jesus is teaching us about prayer. First, let's spend some time in the very first line. Our Father in heaven. The word Father there is Abba. It means Papa. It means Daddy. And Jesus, His relationship with God the Father is different than any other. God the Father is Jesus' Father. He was born of a virgin to show us that He is the Messiah that He is speaking of. And so He is telling His disciples, pray to God the way I do. And He's giving us permission. He's telling us that through Him, we have a deep relationship with the Creator of the universe, so close that we can call Him Papa, intimate, our Father in heaven. Now, He's in heaven. He's still the King. And holy be your name. It is separate. It is pure. It is perfect. So we acknowledge Him in our relationship, but we also acknowledge Him in His title, and that He is God, the creator of the universe. We're not making up an imaginary friend here. We are communing with the creator of the universe. This is so important to us. Because, remember, it's who we're speaking to in prayer that matters, not the fact of prayer itself. Many people are praying all kinds of things for nothing. But when we're communing with the creator of the universe, and we're feeling and sensing His presence, and He's revealing Himself to us, He's doing the work because He is the King. And then he says, your kingdom come, your ways, your will be 
done. This is not self-centered. Many people's relationship with God is self-centered. God, you do what I need you to do. Prove yourself to me. And if you don't, you're not good. I don't like you. I'm going to be in a protest. Well, he is God, the Father, the creator of the universe. His kingdom, his will needs to be done. And it is perfect and holy and true. But then you say, well, the world is so broken and so many bad things happen. People get hit by drunk drivers. Kids are getting cancer. There's wars and ISIS and terrorists, rapists out there. And look what's going on, even in the church. How can God allow this? And the prayer is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Already acknowledging this break, earth and heaven is different. And we live in a sin-cursed and broken world, but the healing is coming. The king is coming to set things right. We're the problem. We cause the problem, not God. But he's going to fix it. And once we acknowledge this, and we're, we're already having a deeper relationship with God, our Abba, we're already acknowledging that his name is holy, he's the creator. We're already seeing the will, his will, coming and working and moving in us. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then in the middle of the prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread. And he is interested in our physical needs, but it's not as important as our spiritual needs. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his only soul, to lose his soul? And I love how it says our daily bread. I mean, I wish it said daily cupcake. I'm not going to lie. I want a little extra. I want a little flavor. I want a little bit more. But no, just meet our needs. And forgive us our debts. What does that have to do with anything? No, he's not talking, Americans, about credit cards. He's not talking about your mortgage. He's talking about our spiritual debts, forgiving other people. Let us be forgiven for the debt that we have to God and to each other, this, this longing. Forgive us our debts. We are in need. We need a change in action and thought and a moving in our soul. Meet our physical needs, meet our spiritual needs. And then what does he say? And as we forgive our debtors. So now we're in the bottom third of this prayer. He's already changing us. Our actions are now changing. First, we're just praising and receiving and we're spending time with him. And we're asking for our needs. And then we're starting to acknowledge our needs and the brokenness of this world. And now we're beginning to change in the prayer. I want to forgive other people. I want to give to the poor and to be praying and to be fasting. But these things are because God is changing me on the inside out. And then it says, and do not lead us into temptation. And so our spiritual weaknesses are now being revealed. Our inability to do certain things is being revealed. And it says, but deliver us from the evil one. And now our place in the heavens is being played. We're beginning to see ourselves in the greater picture, in the scheme of the universe, what our place is in the heavens and on earth. You know, we cannot resist the evil one. We can't resist spiritual things that we don't even see. And we need to be delivered by our deliverer. And then finally it says, for yours is the kingdom and the power of the glory forever. Amen. And it just finishes with that praise and that adoration. I used to hate God. I used to hate him with all the passion I had in the world. And now I have the deepest love and adoration. And how did that happen? 
It happened from spending time with him. Just him moving through his spirit and through the word and through prayer. And it happened in the private, secret place. Now, my summary is a little long. Michael Green, a, theology, a theologian, he, he summed it up perfect very quickly. He said, God, our dear heavenly Father, his name hallowed, his kingdom extended, his will done, our needs supplied, our sins forgiven, our temptations overcome. What a prayer, and all in 57 Greek words. No vain repetitions here. I thought that, gosh, that was so beautiful. I told you I was going to repeat it over and over again because it's true. An authentic, deep relationship with God is cultivated in private, and its work is done in the heart. About a true connection with God as He moves in us. You ever prayed with anyone and you know they know the Lord? Like you know, wow, this person talks to God. Like they have a relationship. Have you ever prayed with everyone? You're like, who are you talking to? Like, I don't know what you're doing here, but you don't know who I know. I've been in both places. I've probably been both of those people. But that happens in the private places. The problem is that many people, many Christians in the 21st century, they love church more than they love God. If you love church more than you love God, this place is not for you. But imagine a fellowship of people who are all growing a deep relationship with God, cultivated in a private place of prayer as they're connecting and seeking and yearning after God. And He's changing them and He's molding them. And some of us, we're like on life support. We come to church and you think you're being changed by a sermon. You're not being changed by a sermon. It's the Word of God moving upon your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, but it's cultivated in private. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be fake to the world. Don't be about the Instagram Christianity. We want a true, deep relationship with Him. And here's the crazy part. You take it with you wherever you go. You can have this thing that we're talking about, this conversation with God, anytime through Jesus. And we're supposed to have this attitude of connection to God throughout our day and everywhere we go. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says to pray without ceasing. Remember, we've changed this word to ditch the religion. Conversations with God all the time. Drive around, turn your radio off. You're sitting on your back porch, just sit with God and breathe for a minute. You have anxieties, fears, heartache, trauma, PTSD, addictions, lovesick, hurt, fears, anxieties. Sit with God. Allow Him to move in you. A deep, authentic, personal relationship with God is cultivated in private. It's not public. Like that woman with the two mites. Like Jesus on the mountain. And now in verses 16 to 18, it says... Moreover, if you fast, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And when your Father who sees in secret, who sees in secret will reward you openly." It says when you fast. Remember, the Pharisees, they're fasting twice a week because they want everyone to know how holy they are. And they're putting ashes on them, and they're not eating. They're wearing fancy clothes. 
that are just dumbed down to show everyone how religious they are, how holy they are. But the Lord says, no, 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 this is private. This is secret. So why fast? You know, the, the health people are telling us that we need to have intermittent fasting. We shouldn't be eating three times a day or five times a day. We should be eating once a day, once a week. You should fast for 72 hours, blah, blah, blah. This, this has nothing to do with health, physical health. It has everything to do with spiritual health. See, what you're saying when you decide to fast is, my hunger and my thirst for a relationship with God is more important than my physical health, than my physical needs. So if you're like me, after about 15 minutes after your last meal, you stumble, your, your food, it's not enough. You, know, you start grumbling a little bit, get a little hangry again, stomach starts growling, and you start thinking about it. And it's a reminder, it's like an alarm clock to your body. You see, if you're also like me and the alarm clock goes off in the morning and you're like, man, I'm going to hit the snooze button because my body, my flesh says I need to keep sleeping. But I have a desire to do something greater than my physical wants at that time. And so I turn the snooze off and I get up whether I like it or not. And it's healthy. It's important. Well, spiritually, you do the same thing. Your body puts an alarm clock off like, hey, you know, you need another cupcake. No, you don't. But it's a reminder to you, like, no, what I really want is to be with the Lord. And you begin to pray, and you're thinking, and you're meditating on Him, and He's changing you, and He's molding you. And it's not for everyone else. You deny yourself because you're really trying to feed yourself spiritually. That's what it's about. I need more of God in my life. And through giving and praying and fasting, and doing it privately and in your personal relationship with God, He begins to cultivate something in you and change something in you. And things begin to be different in you. And people are like, hey, what's different about you? What's going on? You're happier. You have more joy. You have more peace. You're not as anxious so much. What happened? And you're like, I really don't know. Because that's the way He does things. Because He's healing your soul. Yes, I understand that the Bible tells us that we're a new creation. The moment we accept Him, we're filled with the Spirit, and He takes our stony heart and He gives us a heart of flesh. But we have trauma and heartaches and issues in us, and He will begin to wash you and change you and mold you and heal you in ways that no doctor, psychiatrist, therapist, drug, illegal or legal, can heal you. And He will do that work. And remember, an authentic deep relationship with God is cultivated in private and its work is done in the heart, the connection between the soul and the spirit and then we can understand verses like are found in Romans chapter 5 and about how we live our life as a Christian in this relationship with God because remember it is not a religion, it's a relationship but at least we finally know what we're talking about instead of having a bumper sticker it's written on our heart you see, in Romans 5, verse 2 through 6, it says, Through whom also we have access by faith, that's Jesus, through Jesus, into this grace, unmerited favor, in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, now we'll understand these verses, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope, now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I want to wait here for a second because when I first heard these verses, I, I thought this was like a physical thing, like a mental game. Like if I just held out and suffered enough, I'll figure out what the purpose is in the end. Like that's, that's what I thought these verses meant. But when he's talking about the love of God being poured out in us and how these things are working together, I began to realize it's as I'm cultivating that relationship with God and he's changing me, I am being changed and molded through these things as I'm living life together with my creator. And he's empowering me and changing me and using me and I'm being worked on through these things. He's doing the work, not me. He's the one that is encouraging and filling me, not me bearing it until the very end and hopefully I collapse at the finish line and made it. No, I'm being encouraged. For when we were still without strength, when we couldn't do it, He did the work. He died for us, the ungodly. He did those things so that, as it says in the book of Hebrews, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We have access to God the Father. We need no religion, no ritual, no outward performance. We need to no, win no popularity context. It is through Jesus, our great high priest, that we can come to the throne room of God boldly and we can speak with God because an authentic, deep relationship with God is cultivated in private and its work is done in the heart in the connection of the soul and the spirit through Jesus Christ. Remember, prayer doesn't change anything, but the God of prayer changes everything. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would all leave here with a deeper relationship with you, more in love than ever, Lord, and that we would be healed and growing in you. And I pray that everyone leaves here knowing that I can't do a darn thing, Lord, but you can do everything. I pray that people would be seeking you out on a personal level and that you would be glorified in our lives, that we'd be able to share that with others so that the seekers, Lord, would, tr would find what they're missing in you. And so we thank you and we praise you in advance for the work that you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'd love to pray with you. If you need prayer, you can come on up. God bless you and have a wonderful week.